Hello there. Welcome to episode 153, The Power in Facing the Truth with Paul Glover. Paul Glover, who is based in Illinois, is a no BS workplace development coach. And we're going to find out what that is. He's also a recovering trial lawyer, a Chicago Bears fanatic, for those of you who are into sports. He's addicted to Starbucks, and he's written a book called Workquake, a book dedicated to thriving in the information economy. And like me, he is on the Forbes Coaching Council. So welcome to the podcast. Hi, Laura. How are you? It's a real pleasure to be here and be able to talk to you and uh, talk to your audience. Thank you. We're excited to hear what you have to say. I really like people who are listening. I want you to know that one of the reasons I like Paul, you know, the podcast, I don't know if everybody is aware of this. It's number five in the world for communication podcasts, that very popular category. And the result of that is that I'm getting pitches all day. <laughs> and so I'm, I, I don't get to let everybody on who wants to be here just because of the time limitation. But Paul's bio really spoke to me because he is pragmatic. And that is what I, you know, everybody who knows me knows I am super practical. We want practical solutions. We don't want theoretical BS. And in fact, Paul calls himself what either BS free or the no BS coach. But tell us your path, Paul. Let's get into that. I mean, I know you were an ex attorney. Rumor is you did time in the prison. So tell us about it. Sure. Well, well, first, it's not a it's not. A, <laughs> I wish it was. Uh, <laughs> reality is that I was a practicing trial attorney in the city of Chicago, federal court attorney, practicing employment and labor law. And because of the uh, people that I associated with and my own blind spots, I committed uh, acts that got me convicted of federal crimes of embezzlement, uh, taking kickbacks and bribes and threatening government witnesses and uh, was sentenced to seven years in prison. Uh, I served five and a half years, got out in 2001, and, uh, made a decision that since I could no longer practice law, which was my passion, that I was going to have to actually do something worthwhile that would actually uh, perhaps contribute to the well-being of leaders and their organizations uh, to, in some part, make up for the, uh, for the poor decisions uh, that I had made. And so I took my skill sets. And one of them was critical thinking. You can't be a lawyer uh, without critical thinking. But I also was a, uh, a persuasive storyteller. Uh, the way that I won my trials was that I engaged the audience, the jury, uh, and made them, a, uh, made them members of the, uh, the journey, the, what I call the hero's journey. It's, that's a term that's been used since uh, Joseph Campbell. And uh, I made my uh, client the hero. And I invited the, the jury to participate in the journey, taking them along this process of how my client had ended up here. Mm -hmm. And by doing that, I engaged them. And they want to hear a story. Uh, uh, no one wants to hear the facts without the narrative. I wound the narrative up and made them a part of the narrative and uh, won trials all the time. I was quite successful. Uh, so I had that skill set. And then uh, I also had the experience of failure. And uh, obviously, I lost my profession. I uh, left my family 
destitute and uh, totally embarrassed when friends, family, and community found out I was a crook. I went to prison and uh, and uh, developed something that was a unique experience for me: humility. Uh, I, uh, I, as a practicing trial attorney, I was an adrenaline junkie, and also I had hubris. I was the smartest guy in every room, and <laughs> show you I was the smartest guy, and uh, and therefore it led to my downfall. When I got out, I decided that uh, that so many leaders suffer from the same blind spots that I had that put me in prison. And so I decided to uh, to become a coach and share my experiences in an attempt to help people to recognize their potential. And I really, uh, I coach for legacy. Uh, I'm not interested in one and dones. I believe that if you are a leader and you come to me, you're already successful. Uh, and I also, my axiom is the toughest people to coach are those that are successful because coaching requires you change. Mm-hmm. And interestingly enough, most people who are successful struggle with doing that. But I also know that if you come and have a discussion about desiring to change, I believe that that's an itch that you can scratch. Mm-hmm. If you're willing to commit to the process, and it's a difficult process, uh, that will allow you to transform. And therefore, legacy becomes how I, I put that in front of a client. If you want to leave a legacy that's meaningful and worthwhile to whoever's going to replace you, because believe me, the curtain comes down eventually and you exit stage left. What do you want left for the person who's coming on stage uh, to replace you, to, to take your place? And so it's all about legacy, and legacy requires that we face the truth about ourselves. Because if you can't do that, you cannot create meaningful legacy. And so I, I, uh, I believe that coaches have got to serve a, a function of giving people the gift of truth. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's why I list myself uh, as the no BS workplace legacy coach. Uh, if you engage in a coaching relationship, you're going to get the truth. And as a recovering lawyer, I am finally attuned to bullshit. <laughs> and, and I will recognize it. I'll smell it. And we will have a discussion about it. So that's, that's the trans, That's the journey as to where I am now. Uh, in 2001, I came out of prison. And now I have a national coaching program. And, uh, and I build my legacy through other people. That's awesome. And so everybody listening, you're welcome for bringing to you a former felon and trial lawyer to help you be a better storyteller and be more persuasive. This is very cool. So, Paul, but I want to ask you something, because a lot of the people that are listening to this, when you're telling your story, they're thinking, oh, my gosh, I work with that guy, that guy who has to be the smartest one at every meeting. I And I, Laura, the coach, hear about it. So can you give us some insight? Not, not that a colleague or a report could even attempt to change that person, but to, to give us a little insight on that person's mental makeup that can help the rest of us not hate him or her so much, you know, and not not find that process so painful to work with them. Well, and, and unfortunately, that's if that boss is that toxic, 
maybe you shouldn't be working with them. And I know that that's something, as I talk to other coaches, they're like, well, well, you that, that's just not the right approach. Everyone can change. I, yeah, you have to want to yeah, change. Yeah, Dex, thank you. That That's the secret sauce. Do you really, and by the way, I go beyond want. I keep mentioning the word commit. Mm-hmm. Commit to change, and it's hard. So when you have that person that's not willing to commit, I'm not sure there's a lot you can do about that because to be uh, to be someone who will give the gift of truth, there has to be psychological safety. Mm-hmm. Because otherwise, you you know that you're in danger. And if you need that job, you want that job, you know that if you tell the boss the truth that they don't want to hear, you may suffer the backlash. But I also tell people, especially those that are in leadership positions, you owe an obligation, not just to yourself, but to your team, right? If you're leading a team and the team is suffering because your boss is imposing unreasonable expectations uh, on them or is just toxic in general, your obligation is to speak for the team. You have to be that advocate. And if you can't do that because you're afraid you probably need to find a different position. Step out of leadership because leadership requires courage. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're not leading. And what I find is most people who say they're leaders are really just managers. Oh, so what does that mean? That's juicy. That, that means that they are not about aspiration. They are about enforcing the rules. They are prison guards. <laughs> Well, and that, that's how I look at that. Some people run, some leaders run their organization like a prison. And I'm familiar with how prisons run. They have a myriad of rules. There's a rule for everything. And God forbid that if you violate the rule, there's immediate punishment. You go to the hole, right? You okay. the consequences. And when I look at me and look at leaders today, I say, how many of you are just a prison guard? Uh, when I look at, at at the requirement that everybody come back to the office, I'm like, is that really a productivity issue or is that a I don't trust you, so I need to see you so I know you're working? You see, that that's really how it resonates with me. And when you know the job can be done remote, but you require they be there, that's not about productivity. It's not about efficiency. It's about your lack of trust. And we all know that relationships are based on trust. If it doesn't start that way, they don't develop. And what I th- what I think the pandemic has caused employees to think about is they no longer want a transaction. They want a relationship. Mm-hmm. You as a leader have to decide, do you want a transaction? Do you want a relationship? And the difference is how successful do you want to be? If you pay me, I will give you exactly what you pay me for. Mm-hmm. I go up, put in the number of hours, and do as little as I can to collect my check. Correct. Correct. Because that's the transaction, isn't it? Why would I give you more than I have to unless you pay me more than maybe I will? Relationships are about discretionary effort. If I develop a relationship with you, then I can call upon you for discretionary effort whenever I need it, and you're going to respond because we have a relationship. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Maybe we're going to get there, maybe not. But when you talk about leaders who are toxic, they're not interested in relationships. So to me, that's why people leave. That's the great resignation. Right, right, right. What can you do about that? Well, first, have the courage to stand up for your team. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 
And again, uh, we, we put ourselves at risk. I, I, I give the example of, uh, I, t- I do a presentation. It's entitled, Everyone Needs a Fool in Their Life. And the fool in medieval times sat at the foot of the throne of the king, and everyone thought they were an entertainer. Mm-hmm. The was because they were seen as insane, they were able to give the king the gift of truth. Right, right. Not suffer the consequences, right? We need to be a fool. Mm-hmm. And by the way, as a coach, you're a fool, aren't you? Yes. Yeah, yes. I mean, that's my job. My job is to tell, tell you the truth. And if you don't like it, I'm okay with that. Right, right, yeah. right. And, and so, you, but you asked that interesting question I haven't answered is, how can you tell the truth to someone who doesn't want to hear it? The answer is you can't. Okay, that's good to know. So that's good to know. You can't. And, and no. that that has been my perception also that you can only work with the willing. And if you're and if it's a if it's a person on another team that you have to work with now and then, I mean, you just that's just like a tax on having that job. But if it's your boss, um, you know, you can leave now or you can leave later. But that boss <laughs> is not going to change. Or you can, you know, if the company's large enough, you can try to get on another on another team and another group, but, but why, why do, why are there so many people like that in leadership? Well, at first it's the easiest way to lead, isn't it? The easiest way to lead is to tell people what to do. do. Yes, yeah, true. Tell them true. If you don't do it, I will penalize you. Yeah, that's true. That's talking true. about that. I want your idea. Really? What was the last time you heard, you asked me? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You just tell me, no, you need to actually engage me. And we talk about engagement all the time. Right, we do. Don't we know the buzzwords? Yes. <laughs> For 20 years, Gallup has shown every year that the level of engagement has not increased beyond 35%. That means one third of the workforce. I, well, okay, we've had 20 years to, to understand the need for engagement and we can't figure it out. Let me tell you. It is absolutely easy. I tell everyone that wants to listen, there are the three A's. If you want to increase engagement, three A's. The first one is attraction. It has nothing to do with your physical beauty. It has to do with positivity. It has to do with authenticity. It has to do with vulnerability. I will be an attractive leader that draws good people to me because of the fact that I am those things. There's a whole list of attractions, right? But it all starts with positivity and trust. Because if I don't trust you, why would we ever have a relationship? Uh, by the way, I'm okay with trust and verify. I mean, I'm not, yeah. but, but, but we always start with trust. So, so the first A is trust. The second A is attention. Everybody craves attention. We know this. Uh, you and I both know I, I'm a research geek, right? Why? Because I need to be able to substantiate what I tell someone they should do other than it's my opinion. Right. It is so apparent that people crave attention. You need to give it to them. How do you do that? You give them training. You give them development. You make them a part of your journey rather than having them as a bystander. You know, I, I break the I break the employee group down into three groups: those that are committed, those that are bystanders, and those that are toxic. I call them the working dead. <laughs> three right. groups. Well, and they're, but they're there, and we allow the working dead to continue to be there. Uh, right now, it's because we don't think we can replace them. 
Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Be there, but you know what? They are they are toxic. They inf- yes yes, and so they they ripple out and they cause a toxic instead of just being a toxic employee. We now have a toxic environment. Mm-hmm. It's contagious. Yeah. Yes, and good people leave. Why would they stay? Mm-hmm. Correct. They're gone. So the concept of attention to me is to reach out and pay attention. There's a variety of ways to do it. The third A is appreciation. Okay. I am stunned by how little we say thank you. Mm. During the pandemic, it was a terrible week. Everybody, every week was a terrible week. And on Friday, the boss would say, see you on Monday. And I told my, those in my coaching program, that's like an invitation back to hell. (laughs) <laughs> isn't it i mean we just yeah. had this terrible week by the way come back and let's do that again <laughs> uh, and it's like oh i hate that so guess what i went home i drank <laughs> I, I dreaded i dreaded going back how about on friday if we didn't celebrate the fact that we had survived the week and that we were in this together and how much i appreciate you mm-hmm. correct yes yeah and go and, and give them give them a prize i mean i told i told leaders i said you know during the pandemic one of your jobs is to make people laugh yes good yeah, exactly so on friday when everybody's getting ready to go home how about you do your zoom call and you put on the ugly sweater contest mm-hmm. something that makes people smile it just it, to me that that became in fact that became a part of my coaching process. Everybody's hair was on fire. Everybody was getting ready to jump off the ledge. A part of my deal was to make you smile or laugh during our our conversation. It just became a part of a part of my process because you needed it, and I knew you needed it. And by the way, you know as well as I do that when we have a positive coaching experience, it's an exchange of energy. Right. 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 And well, when when I well, and when I had a client who was in distress, a part of my job was to help them de-stress. Correct. And I took on some of that stress. I don't believe stress just dissipates; it gets transferred. Mm-hmm. So part of that though was making you laugh, and if we could laugh together, it helped. So those are, by the way, those are the three A's. I me- love it. I'm going to just recap them from our audience. I don't know if anybody's driving, so don't write it down, but I've written it down. So three A's of engagement are to be attractive. And, you know, it doesn't mean combing your hair, but being an attractive (laughs) person to work with, although combing your hair might be in order. Uh, But is, you know, positive somebody who's got energy that energy is so it can be so attractive and then attention, paying attention to the people that are, are working with you and then appreciating then there's nobody that has enough appreciation and he suggested um you know recognizing people on fridays and giving an award i will say uh, for my communication coaching practice i think you can make your appreciation statement more effective by connecting the impact of what you appreciate the person for connecting like let's just say that i appreciate Let's pretend that Paul works for me and I appreciate that he's super consistent and uh, doesn't, you know, he, he does his job without giving me any issues just to make a simple case. And so I can say one option would be, oh, thank you, Paul. I appreciate your being so consistent. You know, thank you. Or I can say, Paul, thank you for being so consistent. You know, the fact that I know that I, when I give you 
a project, I don't have to think about it anymore. I don't have to be so intentional about follow-up because I know you'll take care of it. That allows me to sleep better. And that allows me to show up as, as a better boss. You know, that's uh, kind of uh, making your appreciation more powerful. I think, I think also um, as, uh, other forms of recognition, like a Amazon card would also work, but I, I, I and I like uh, the concept of humor. And I know that in teaching communication, a relaxed audience is more receptive. That's the way that's, uh, you know, my way of putting it, but I totally agree that humor is great, but I want to know, and I, I know people are listening to this. We have a lot of super smart, high achievers, um, over, over performers who are, take their jobs very seriously. So how can we all be, be more funny? Well, I, first, I, I, I don't suggest that somebody try to be a comedian. Right, uh, right. That doesn't work. And, and telling jokes, that just, that, that is not, I'm not, that's what I'm not suggesting. I'm suggesting that there is something humorous that you can share with someone that they can relate to every day. Believe me, your life, if, and sometimes it's absurd, isn't it? I, I often find that the things I laugh with is somebody who tells me something that's absurd. Uh, and I always ask him, I said, so what's the oddest thing that happened to you this week? And there's always something. And when they talk about it, I go, well, that, that, does, did that, what did, how would you react to that? Because I'm actually smiling here. <laughs> and when a guy thinks so, he says, yeah, you know, you're right. That was just funny. And we we'll, and we just start, we share that moment. It doesn't have to be laugh out loud funny. It's just that, like we're doing right now. Uh, you know, yes. there's a change of energy right now. And, and I'm smiling. You're smiling. So we're, we're actually smiling, which is a part of the humor thing, isn't it? So, right. That anybody who wants to do this can find an example to share. And by the way, the, the concept of leaders sharing is all about modeling, isn't it? So, if, listen, I want to tell you something funny that happened to me. It's kind of like, whoa, you want to, oh, oh my gosh. And by the way, that will trigger you to think about something funny. True. Right. I hadn't thought about that though. Yeah, yes. it leads it leads to another. And, and you always have to be careful about suddenly the whole coaching process becomes telling each other funny story. <laughs> so so you've got to draw it in. <laughs> I, find, I find that I can start with a funny story. Maybe it's something I read in the news, right? Or so. And I say, hey, did you see that? You know, and it's and he's like, well, are we actually talking about business? Well, not right now. We're going to talk about this funny thing. And that suddenly changes the tenor of the conversation. You're right. Being serious is supposed to be how you lead. I don't believe that anymore. Yes. I, I think you have to be concerned about the business, but that's not how you lead. Right. Well, because. The, the thing about working from home, and you mentioned this word, we had we were super duper uber productive because all we did was work. And some people were still doing that. We also need the humor for that. But also communication online without um, sharing the same physical space can become very transactional. And I think Absolutely. allowing time for the humor, the personal part is uh, so important, uh, not only to get stuff done, but to be a healthier workplace and a healthier environment, right? Oh, absolutely. And and the, the concept that I grew up with and you grew up with was we have to be professional. Right. 
Right, the the yeah. <laughs> right, and so that that immediately put real strict boundaries on how we could interact with someone else. Personal action was always about the business, about professional. That's not working anymore. Uh, the pandemic requires personal. So it's a it's a combination of professional and personal if you want a relationship. And by the way, personal is about I need to know something about you. Otherwise, how can it be personal? So that requires me to do a couple of things that I never did uh, as a leader pre-pandemic. First, I had to be perpetually curious. Uh-huh. I, right? Curiosity is now a hallmark of good leadership. I need to be first. I'm. I. I tell people in my pro, my program always be looking for trouble. <laughs> it's out there. It's out there. And if you're not looking for it, you know that black swan. It's. But if you're looking for it, you will. You will be prepared. Better prepared. And and the reality is that means I have to be perpetually curious. I have to constantly be asking people what's going on. Mm-hmm. Right. But and also not how are you doing? Because that to me is a, a work question. How are you feeling? Oh, okay. That's an interesting that, word. That's a that's a different question than mm-hmm. it. People respond differently. It triggers a different response. And leaders need to depend on their teams to tell them the truth, but they only get that if they ask the right questions. Okay. Whoa, 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 whoa. So what, what makes a question uh, more likely for somebody to give you the truth than to sugarcoat it? Well, first, first you have to have a relationship, right? Ah, okay. If you don't have a relationship, you don't get it. Uh, And and I, I believe that first, I always find it interesting when I do manufacturing and I've got a, a president that has a third shift. And one of my questions is, well, when was the last time you went to the third shift? And of course, uh, it's right. It's like, uh, oh, my God. I've, I, and, and I'm sarcastic by nature. I go, so they're not your employees, right? You some kind of <laughs> a different company. No, no. What are you talking? Then you need to get off your lazy butt and go there at four o'clock in the morning when it's lunchtime. Not at 12. Uh, you go. And by the way, don't tell anybody you're coming. Don't bring an entourage. Don't tell the supervisors, because if you want to know what's really going on in your company, it's the third shift. Right. Oh, my gosh. Lack of management, farther away from any of the rules. And usually the guy in charge is like a little king. Right. He runs his own little empire and he seldom has to worry about management showing up because you don't. So I say, so you need to go there. And when you walk in the first time, sit down in the lunchroom and they're going to call the police. I think there's an intruder in the lunchroom. <laughs> Who's that guy in the lunchroom? Call the police. How did he get in? Oh, my God. <laughs> but it's true. And, and so, of course, the deal is show up. And when the supervisor comes in, say, go, go take your lunch, eat your lunch someplace else. I'm going to sit here and I'm going to ask questions. I'm going to say, hey, listen, tell me about this. Tell me about you. How are you doing? Right. How are you feeling? Are things good here? Or bad here? The third visit. Mm-hmm. When you they start to believe you're serious. And that's when you'll start to hear the truth about the third shift. 
So this is not a this is not a quick one and done. This is I'm going to develop a relationship. But by the way, how I'm going to, to do this is I'm going to tell you about me and my vulnerability. Mm-hmm. I do not. I tell people I don't have a crystal ball. It broke. <laughs> I can't foretell the future. What I need to do is having discussion with you so that you will tell me what you need and what this organization needs for the future. Mm-hmm. It's a relationship building personal question asking endeavor. And we often say, I don't have time for that. Right. Isn't that exactly. what everyone says? Yep. yep. Then I'm not sure what your job is. Yes. Oh my God. So rich. And I want to point, I want to point out uh, to, to our audience that first of all, I know that people from, I I can think of at least two consumer goods products that are listening to this and you do have a third shift probably. So maybe, maybe you go visit, even if it's not your job, I don't know, but that, I think that's very wise to be checking in on the on the group of people at your company that have the least visibility, right? I mean, they're the ones, and, and you're right, it's not a one and done. People are not going to, like, if, even if, uh, if I'm asking um, my boss even for feedback, I might not get it the first time you ask. You might not, or you might not get the truth until you've asked at least three times. So that's good. And another thing you've illustrated, Paul, is, You've come up with really good word choices. And I think like the way you mentioned the working dead to uh, categorize people who are unpleasant, unhappy to work with. I I think that's a a very cool word choice is definitely memorable. And that's a way of being more interesting than talking about whatever it is you need to talk about. So I'm just pulling out some communication nuggets from your uh, conversation there. Uh, So that's why... I'm mentioning that. I love leading with curiosity. Tell me, can you be too curious? No, I don't. Well, obviously, I believe that there's always boundaries in every relationship. And I say professional and personal, not intimate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I want to become right. intimate. Uh, then, right. then we have then we have HR. <laughs> right, right. right. <laughs> HR. Uh, so no, I, I I do think that there are boundaries, but I also think that they are bigger boundaries than we believe. Mm-hmm. And if we as leaders, again, are often authentic and vulnerable, mm-hmm. we widen those boundaries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. People to come into the relationship feeling like they can tell you the truth, right? Mm-hmm. You'll trust. Uh, and and uh, uh, the second part of being perpetually curious is being an empathetic listener. Okay. I have a tendency to want to talk all the time. So mm-hmm. I'm stop. And and we used to say active listening. That's not good enough anymore. Empathetic listening is where we cross over into the personal. Mm-hmm. Not only am I listening, but I am listening, putting myself, because this is what empathy is, in your position so that I better understand what you're telling. And we often, as leaders, as we work our way up the ladder and we're promoted, we have Continually more filters between us and the reality of the person that's doing the real work mm-hmm. to eliminate those filters. First, you have to be present to do that. But second, you now have to be an empathetic leader and put yourself in their position to really understand. Right. They're going to be telling you things that you're not accustomed to and you need to realize how important it is. 
Then, then they, there's a, and, and by the way, I love empathy, but not as much as I love compassion. Okay. Compassion is actually acting on empathy. Okay. Empathy is hearing you and mm-hmm. understanding you. Compassion is doing something to help you. But what if it's something, what if they're telling you about their terrible boyfriend or something? I mean, what well, you- again, I'm, I'm not doing anything about that. That's, we've gone, <laughs> okay. we've not, we've gone to intimate there, right? <laughs> right. I, can, I don't want to talk about your sex life. I don't want to talk about your marriage because I'm not quite, and that's what I tell people. I'm not a psychiatrist. If you're having those issues, I will direct you to our EAP. Yeah, but I, but I, but I just want to bring out that sometimes if you're when you're very empathetic, people do try to bring you their personal issues, and that's why you do have to have your boundaries, right? You have guardrails around how you approach this, and that do practice. Okay. Here's to being empathetic. We need to practice, and when we do, we say, "Oh, all right, now I know not to do that again." Right. right. All that would end. But but then I need to actually be compassionate. And if I can help you, mm-hmm. something that makes your life at work. Mm-hmm. Uh, and if you tell me, uh, for instance, it's always interesting when you find out that the boss, the team leader, is really a guy that is toxic. Mm-hmm. And then you have to decide, am I, going to, am I going to do something about that? First, do you believe it? But, but you will, you'll know when they're telling you the truth. Like I said, we have that built-in opportunity to feel it. Mm-hmm. And when it's true, now you have to do something about it. See, and that's where leaders really balk about this because they're like, well, if they tell me something and I know it's true, I have to do something about it? I, yeah. Yes. <laughs> Yes, you yeah, do. Right. Isn't that your obligation as a leader? You want right. to process better. You want to make people better. And if you recognize you've got a leader that is stunting growth, you can't ignore that. By the way, you do that at your own peril. Right. You the information necessary to do something that you know needs to be done and you fail to do it, don't come back. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's so good. No, they okay. will never tell you the truth again. Right. You're, un- exactly right. you're unreliable. You're not, by the way, let's move to the word. You're not trustworthy. Right. And if people don't have the truth, they can't make good decisions. If they don't make good decisions, you can't get good outcomes. This is so interesting, Paul, and you're a very entertaining uh, person to talk to. So to in wrapping this up, I want you to think about, you know, our listeners, they are you know, wanting to be better leaders. They probably are empathetic. Um, maybe. Maybe they're feeling like uh, not seen by senior leadership. They feel like they, you know, that they're not the loudest person in the room, but maybe adding value. What, what can you tell uh, our, our leaders who are on the quiet side, how they can speak up uh, with more impact, even if they're not, you know, gregarious? Well, and first, that's always interesting because I believe that that those we use the pejorative terms, right? Extrovert, introvert, and they they have too much stigma attached to them, you know, because because I've recognized that that some of the most impactful leaders are not gregarious, mm-hmm. much more thoughtful, uh, and I know that in those conversations that that those people who are more not as gregarious, are often overwhelmed by those who won't yes. 
Exactly. Exactly. They feel like they, they, since they can't match that style of communication that they just keep quiet. They do. I, and so I recommend to those, those, those personality types that I coach that first you make sure you understand the agenda and where you can make impactful statements so that you do more preparation. I've often found that meetings with extroverts turn into, uh, turn into brainstorming. Yes. And, and that's, see, to an introvert, that's like, that's just stupid. Why are we doing this? So the, the, the conditions that I set on it is be prepared to insert a thoughtful statement observation whenever you see the opportunity. But make sure that you are ready to do that when the occasion arises. See, otherwise, you, you are caught up in the, this weird flow that's going back and forth, and you're not prepared to insert. And so what you're doing is at the end, you're like, well, I had plenty to say, but I didn't see the opportunity. First, you have to be prepared for the opportunity, which means look at the agenda, structure, because you are, look, most people know what's going to happen at these yeah. Right. So yeah, so yeah. you prepare your statement, you rehearse, you prepare and you wait. There will be an opportunity because even the guy that's talking loudest and longest has to take a breath. <laughs> right? You're giving them yeah, permission to interrupt. Exactly. That's what you say there. And you go, by the way, that was really interesting. Now here's something that's thoughtful. <laughs> and, I, and, and I know that that sounds weird, but that's exactly how you want to come across. That was all interesting. Here's thoughtful. And that's what catches everybody's attention. Absolutely. I'm uh -huh. feeling that. That was interesting. Here's something thoughtful. Well, this has been an interesting and thought-provoking uh, diamond-studded platinum uh, conversation. I'm really oh, thank uh, you. pleased. Yes. And so just to close, uh, how can people get in touch with you? Um, what book of yours would, I, I know you wrote a book about the edge or the impact. I yeah. would, what, what do you recommend? It's the work, it's, oh, Workquake. Yes. Workquake. The, the so, knowledge economy. So tell us a little bit about Workquake. Well, Workquake was written 10 years ago and it's now a classic. Okay. I say that because 10 years ago, I told my editor, nobody's going to read this book. And he said, why do you say that? And I said, because the things I talk about, no one's ready to talk about. Self-care. Uh, the fact, uh, self-directed work teams. Uh, the fact that, uh, that you have to give psychological safety. All of the things we've been having an active conversation about. Ten years ago, no one would have asked me any of that. Oh, yeah. And communication <laughs> coaching was not a thing, even though. That is right. <laughs> And plus, it was all very much. Look, we 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 are a we were industrial, and we took that industrial assembly line psychology into the into the office. And right. We tried to do all of this time is run it like it's an assembly line, and it's not. And we've come to that realization. If nothing else, the pandemic broke it. It broke that model. Now, we don't, don't know what's going to happen next. But so my book, which was Workquake, was all about the changing environment of work. And, and through my coaching and experience, I could see that this was what was going to happen. The problem is it, it was not prevalent. It was something that no one looked at and said, well, I can do that today. 
Today, my book is absolutely spot on. <laughs> oh, about self-care, I have the daily mantra, which is taking care of yourself. For instance, I recommend that everybody starts their day, every leader starts their day by centering themselves on positivity. Mm -hmm. How you do that is you do your gratitudes. Mm -hmm. So often forget how fortunate we are. Uh, so I go into the workplace with a positive state of mind, and I have to as a leader. I'm the example. I do my daily gratitudes. Whatever those are, you repeat them to yourself. Uh, so that's that's something that's recommended in the book. I guarantee you, 10 years ago, if I told someone, yeah, I want you to start your day with gratitude, they'll go, what are you, a tree hugger? <laughs> well, you know, yeah, mental health was not an issue that we talked about at, at all. So anyway, the book the book is suddenly a classic. So anyone who's interested in reading the classic, uh, they can get Workquake uh, on uh, on Amazon. What I find interesting is, even though I trademarked the word, someone else has taken it and put it on their book. Yeah. <laughs> well, and, and by the way, I, I at first it kind of irritated me, right? I was like, of what? Of course. The but then I, I, I thought about that imitation. Right. It may bring about the positive that more people find your book because they're it, looking it, at this other one. So it actually did. My book sales have gone up. Oh, that's good. That's awesome. <laughs> it is. So it's a good thing. Uh, so I can be reached at Paul at paulglovercoaching.com. Uh, I respond to every email I get just because I'm perpetually curious. All right. That's awesome. Thank you so much, Paul. This has been a lovely conversation, very fruitful. And I know that you all listening have taken down notes. I hope if you, if you are driving, you have to go and listen to it again so you can write them down. Thank you so much. And uh, see everyone on the next episode. Farewell for now.